Hello and welcome to Market Matters, a podcast brought to you by Emirates Midi. My name is Maurice Gravier. I am Chief Investment Officer for the bank. Our topic of today is a big one, investing in China. Of course, it's big. China's economy is the world's second largest, with an annual GDP approaching the 15 trillion US dollar mark. It is actually larger than any developed country in the world, except, of course, the US. But with a population of roughly 1.4 billion, its GDP per capita is close to 10,000 US dollars. This metric indicates that China, despite being a giant, is still considered an emerging economy. Its trajectory has been stellar. Just 20 years ago, its GDP was 10 times smaller, close to the current size of the Spanish economy. Even during the pandemic, which, which after all started in China, the country was the only large one to avoid economic contraction in 2020. This explains why China didn't implement the massive monetary and economic stimulus policies seen in all other major economic regions, what we call magic money. China is serious about the future with the clear ambition to become the world's number one superpower. From an investment perspective now, such a growth and such a potential sound like a no-brainer. Chinese stocks and bond markets are also big and deep, by far the largest of the emerging markets complex. And the great news is that their valuation is more attractive, at least on paper, than developed markets, which are under steroids, boosted by central banks' generosity. It sounds great, doesn't it? But unfortunately, investment decisions are never simple. Here are the ugly facts. The Chinese economy is slowing with a sharp drop in consumption in particular. Stock markets are underperforming. Indeed, they are negative year to date, not just because of the softer growth, but also due to an unprecedented and never-ending regulatory crackdown, which affects technology, finance, education, gaming, more recently gambling, and potentially even real estate. Bond markets are also under pressure, with a moment of truth approaching for Evergrande, China's largest and immensely indebted real estate developer. The company skips payments due to bank today, September 20, as we record, and the world is anxiously wondering how Beijing could react to this potentially systemic crisis. The topic is big, so I am joined by the crème de la crème of our strategy team. Giorgio Borelli, Head of Asset Allocation, Anita Gupta, Head of Equities, and Satya Singh, Head of Fixed Income. They will share their views on what happens and what we advise from an investment perspective. So, without further ado, Giorgio, you are Head of Asset Allocation and an expert in insightful top-down views. What can you tell us about China in terms of economy or policy? Is it really as bad as markets seem to see it? Thank you, Maurice. Yes, there is growing concern about the investability of China because of the relentless slowdown phase, or even worse, due to the regulatory offensive of the authorities against private corporations. Today I'll be focusing on the former, the macroeconomic picture, and just touching on the latter, policy action. As for the economic outlook, the conclusion is that one should not extrapolate the current soft patch indefinitely. Pressure is building for macro policy to shift to an expansive mode, and we believe that the authorities will change tack and support growth. It is true that the Chinese economy has been decelerating since at least spring last this year, due both to fiscal and monetary tightening. 
Business confidence peaked in March, manufacturing activities barely expanding, while the services sector is yet again in contraction territory. Recent COVID outbreaks and zero tolerance from the government, with the implementation of severe restrictions, weighed on consumption and consumers remain hesitant to go back to pre-pandemic habits. Also, external demand is not helping either, as the recovery in the developed countries is driven by services, while China is basically a manufacturing hub. Overall, external and internal economic conditions require some public support, and Beijing is well aware of this. According to the July Politburo official statement, the external environment is challenging and the domestic economic recovery still unstable and uneven. Hence, the meeting called for more investments and issuance of local government bonds. Growth will be revived via new infrastructure projects and the plan is for construction to be underway by the end of 2021 or early 2022 at the latest. As for monetary policy, liquidity must be kept appropriate and abundant, as per the statement, and in particular should support the smaller and medium enterprises. The focus on liquidity suggests one more cut in the reserve requirement ratio by year-end, targeting smaller banks which would be able to increase lending to their client base, as I said, basically the SMEs. Monetary policy should remain neutral and the credit creation rate the growth of the so-called total social financing should be stabilized just below the middle of its recent historical range. Overall, we would expect the PBOC to keep interest rates steady and add accommodation via liquidity in order to avoid asset price bubble. It should be clear, though, that policy support is aimed at avoiding sharp losses in economic momentum rather than revving up growth. The slowdown will be managed and the fiscal and monetary shift be only proportional to the challenges. We see anyway growth going back to the pre-pandemic rates towards year-end. The pattern of government interventions is in keeping with the larger focus on longer-term goals beyond growth, which means that cyclical policies will be more and more tuned towards those longer-term goals. And this takes us to the most controversial policy actions undertaken by the government the implementation of a new economic model to achieve the so-called common prosperity. This model is a set of redistributive policies supporting the size and the income of the middle class by exerting tighter controls on big corporations. And big corporations have been hit by increasingly harsher regulatory offensive which have had high impact on sector fundamentals and investor sentiment. While our visibility on the macroeconomic outlook is a source of comfort, we are in the dark as to the timing and duration of further regulatory measures. Some analysts suggest that policy risks are deemed to stay high until the 20th Party Congress in October 2022, with political leaders keen to build their populist credentials in the run-up to the Congress. Overall, while fiscal and monetary measures are likely to stabilize markets, regulatory risk advises carefully careful sector and security selection. Thank you, Giorgio. That's a very balanced opinion. And uh, indeed, you say that the slowdown will be managed and that to distribute prosperity, you first need to make sure that there is some prosperity. So it's good to hear some positives at a time when, as we record today Monday, markets are sharply down in Hong Kong. So 
Let's move on to stocks with our head of equity strategy. Anita, you had downgraded China from overweight to neutral in your allocation months ago. We just heard a reasonably constructive view on the top-down picture, but of course, backdrop and markets are two different things. So, what's your take on Chinese stocks now? Time to buy or too early or too risky? Any preferred segments? Maurice, this year's drop in China's stocks is tied to regulatory changes rather than economic uncertainty, so I take well into cognizance the points made by you and by Giorgio. Uh, so when is this going to end? Some of the more notable actions are around common prosperity, social equity, with tech, gaming and education companies in the headlines. So as you said, we went neutral emerging market Asia two months ago, and this was actually just before the China regulation crackdown on education and gaming, and post the Ant Group IPO withdrawal and fine on Alibaba. Signs were already emerging that hitherto unaffected sectors could see some angst. Also, we now advise no specific China bet, just a broad allocation to emerging markets as per our asset allocation grid. So what are the issues currently and where do we expect no turnaround to happen and where do we think that we see upside even in the current situation? So issues, data privacy, and IPO being pulled, DD Global Bank registering new users, China framing rules to prevent internet firms whose data poses potential security risks from offshore listings, concerns on monopoly of digital payment companies, uh, state investment in and group financial payments arm being considered, monopolistic practices in March 21 fines on 12 companies, healthcare pricing concerns, examples of companies Alibaba Health, JD Health, the crackdown on internet platforms, anybody who badmouths markets and spread rumors. We have seen Alibaba, Meituan, Tencent pledge billions for common prosperity initiatives. This definitely affects their margins. Socioeconomic issues around high tuition costs for tutoring post school. Many of the education companies in China affected, including New Oriental, Tal, Gautu. Uh, gaming companies are not to focus on profit and also the hours restricted on what children spend per uh, day. Financial returns on real estate developers and the latest is Hong Kong property being hit. But also what we need to focus on is the difference in the performance within domestic China indices. Besides the MSCI China now uh, down, uh, you know, year to date about 16% in sync with the technology sector, Nasdaq dragon down. But the domestic China market is actually up 4%. Uh, China education the worst affected down 45% year to date. But you know, as Maurice you said, valuations are attractive. 12 year forward price to earnings at around 13.8, about the lowest globally. However, low valuations are discounted by lower earnings expectations. And unlike developed markets seeing upgrades, we have seen 2021 China EPS lowered by 25%. Our own estimate for the EPS growth, which we said before uh, all these issues happened, was around 30%. But consensus is for a 2021 EPS growth at 24%. So while we don't think that these current regulatory issues are going to change, there's still a lot to invest in. First of all, we would focus on the domestic China market. Secondly, we would focus on anything to do with ESG because China is very focused on going carbon neutral by 2050. Thirdly, we would focus on anything to do with electric vehicles. Definitely very much in the favor 
so uh, anything to do with solar panel makers so there is still plenty to invest in but stay broadly positioned it's too early to start making very specific china bets plenty of good fund managers and etfs on a broad perspective thank you very much anita that's pretty clear that the long-term potential is currently shadowed by the short-term headwinds it indeed sounds like a neutral like you said but with potential and selectivity too early for the beta time for the alpha so after the stocks, let's move on to bonds with Satya, our head of fixed income strategy. Again, today as we record is a special day. Evergrande is in big trouble. But of course, China is a much bigger market with all the spectrum of issuers and credit quality. In addition, there hasn't been the kind of financial repression seen elsewhere from central bank purchases. Yields have not evaporated in China. So, what should we do with China within a bond portfolio? Thank you, Maurice. We have an overall constructive view about Chinese fixed income markets. In short, we think that investment-grade Chinese local currency sovereign and quasi-sovereign bonds provide investors with quality diversification opportunities. While in the higher segment, the recent spread widening is a result of repricing of tail risk, we believe the risk of contagion remains low given the regulators would like to avoid systemic risk. Chinese treasuries is the second largest common bond market after the US and China IG debt is the fastest growing IG market in the world with a CAGR of 16% in the last five years. The only concerns for investors are liquidity and FX risks. While liquidity as demonstrated by secondary market transactions over the volume of total issuance remains low at around 2.2x compared to 14x for US treasuries, the low correlation with emerging market debt and higher yield than their developed market counterparts has pushed institutional investors to apportion a part of their allocation to this asset class. This should improve liquidity in the long term. Looking at FX risk, there have been only two instances where Renneby had large depreciation in the last two decades and both of them have been kind of black swan events. In 2015, Renneby was devalued to fight slowdown in exports, while in 2018, the US-China trade war impacted the currency negatively. In fact, Beijing remains keen to boost the internationalization of the renminbi and should try to keep its currency stable against the dollar. For retail investors, the access to the asset class remains challenging with dollar-hedged yields for the best of the funds around 3.5% that deters investors. So the best strategy to play this theme is to take currency risk and invest in unhedged share class of any fund which adopts a cross-border strategy. During periods of stress, onshore bonds provide stability and during risk on periods, offshore bonds provide higher yield. This strategy should typically generate gross yields of around 5.5%. Now coming to high yield, we typically look at Asia high yield as a whole and China high yield accounts for 50-60% to 60 of the segment. The recent performance of the sector has not been great due to the repricing of the tail risk as you mentioned. The Chinese regulators are trying to remove moral hazard trades from the markets. And as a result, credit differentiation between the good, bad and the ugly has increased. Chinese property sector issuers account for 80% of Chinese high yield credit. We expect tail risk to stay elevated. But with overall sector deleveraging and overall property sector fundamentals remaining kind of steady, we expect the risk to stay contained and not result in any large spread blowouts from current levels. There are weak spots as you mentioned, such as Evergrande's $300 billion liabilities and the looming default. 
We believe the regulators go ahead for the company to renegotiate payment deadlines with creditors avoids the worst case scenario of liquidation where the offshore bondholders would have received zero recovery. However, if the recoveries are in the mid-20s, the China high-yield spread should not widen a lot from current levels which are already at the widest since May 2020. Also, the contagion to India and Indonesia high-yield has been absent till now. Moreover, as Giorgio had mentioned, we anticipate that the government is at the end of credit tightening phase. There may be some positive intervention to increase liquidity in the system that would benefit the high-yield sector. So investors should be selective in high-yield credit to avoid disappointments by investing in solid double-B names and avoiding exposure to the likes of Guangzhou, Fantasia Holdings, Evergrande and China Central Bonds in single-line credits. Another route to invest is to allocate capital to broader Asia high-yield focused funds that have a clear strategy of not chasing the yield and instead that focus on more quality credits to generate returns. Such funds may sacrifice a few basis points of performance in the good times but would protect the portfolio against large tail risks and they align with the core tenet of Emirates NBD's wealth management philosophy to protect capital during stress periods. With the correct strategy, the investors should be able to generate high single-digit returns from this asset class over the next 12-month period as seen from our past experiences in 2011 and 2011. Thank you, Satya, and I'm glad we end on highlighting actual opportunities, even if I must say that it's not easy to find the right fund with exposure to, um, to both uh, hard currency and local currency bonds, but we are working on it. Uh, so, thank you very much. To summarize our views, the top-down picture is constructive. The stock markets will remain volatile. Uh, however, the bond markets provide opportunities despite the current crisis. By the way, our team has um, published a note on China with more details that you can find on our website. And um, maybe I will conclude and add that, as you know, emerging markets are a large weight in our long-term strategic asset allocation. Their growth drivers are simply secular and combined with reasonable valuations, they support superior returns for the long run, way beyond the post-pandemic rebound. So, bottom line, hold on if you're already invested in Chinese assets, but if you aren't, it's not a bad time to start building a position for the long run. Thank you for listening, stay safe and invest wisely for the long term.